I, I'm so thankful that we've had the opportunity these last few weeks to talk about um, these things that God has called us to together and to talk about the, something that pops up throughout the New Testament, which is the fact that there are always going to be stumbling blocks. There's always going to be an opportunity, uh, as, it, as it phrases it in the New Testament in the Gospels quite a few times, there's going to be an opportunity for offense. The word offense in the New Testament means something that you trip over. So we use it a lot in our culture uh, when I say you've offended me. I'm offended at that. What I'm saying is I'm stumbling over that. I'm stumbling over you. I'm stumbling over something you've said. I'm stumbling over something you've done. I'm stumbling over the way you looked at me when you said something nice. But I'm tripping over that. The, the first week we talked about this, we looked to when Jesus spoke to his disciples. In fact, a large crowd of disciples. And this was, if you were going by modern standards, Jesus' greatest failure. But if you're going by kingdom standards, it was a complete success. The reason people might call it his failure is that in John chapter 6, he loses all the crowds that have been following him. And he turns and he says to them, he says, Are you, does this cause you to stumble? Are you offended by this? I mean, he had just brought up cannibalism and vampirism, right? He said, if you, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, if you don't do that, you can't be a part of the kingdom. So I get why people might be a little stumped by that. But he said, does this offend you? Does this cause you to stumble? We ought to be aware that God's mission for your life is not that you would find the smoothest road possible and never be Never be stretched, never grow, never be uncomfortable. If God's mission for you was never to be uncomfortable, you would stay the same for the rest of your life. And that's not a good place to be. Growth is sometimes uncomfortable. Stretching is uncomfortable. Getting out of the boat and walking on the water is uncomfortable. When Jesus sends his disciples out two by two to go to the villages, says don't take a coat with you, don't take a money bag with you, don't take extra food with you, you just depend, you just depend on my provision. You, you watch and, and, and see how I use other people to provide for you. That's not comfortable, but that's faith. That's exciting. Trust in God. Allowing God to speak to us in ways that maybe trouble us at first. Allowing God to speak to us in ways that maybe bump us the wrong way. Because God is so good, he doesn't want to leave you stuck in the rut you've been in for so long. He wants to get you out of it. When, when it's time to change directions, if you're not changing on your own, sometimes God's method of speaking to you may seem offensive because I, I like what I, the way I think, I like the way I act, I like the way I live, and God says, but I've got better for you. Go this way. Well, sometimes that's annoying for us. We want to be on our path, but God's got something. He loves you enough not to leave you that way. I want to go back to something we talked about a couple weeks ago, back in the book of Matthew. And uh, I want to talk to you about uh, something that's not often mentioned when we talk about love. Something that's not often talked about in today's world um, in reference to love in reference to loving by the love that God gives us, a lot of times we just kind of assume that I'm supposed to feel good things for you and act on those good feelings. But I think most of us know that you don't always feel good things for people. You don't always have warm fuzzies. You don't always feel like loving people. So what causes you to love? Where does that love come from? 
In fact, if you could hold your place in the book of Matthew, I'd love for you to read something with me just to kind of kick us off in, in the book of 1 Peter because this is um, really something that I go back to every, you know, every month of my life, if not more. I'm thinking about this verse in 1 Peter 4. Because 1 Peter is talking about what's going to happen and, and in what is happening in the times where everything seems to be pushing against you. Talking about the, the, the last days, talking about a time to grow up and be sober and, 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 and you know, get yourself together because this is the time. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, I want you to read with me um, what Peter writes. And uh, I think I'll, I'll start in verse 7. 1 Peter 4, 7, he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. He doesn't say the end of all things is near, so build a bunker. The end of all things is near, so go buy a bazooka. He doesn't say that. He says the end of all things is near, so get ready to pray. Set your spirit. Be sober. Be alert. Why? Because so many times we've thought of the, the, the whole doctrine of the end for us is just us getting out of here. So we don't really think about our part in the end times, right? Now, I believe that Jesus is coming back. I believe he's taking us with him. But I also believe we're in the end times right now. Do you know what I'm saying? I believe we're in the last days. I think scripturally we're in the last days. I mean, there's some stuff still going to happen, but we're, we're near in the end. So we're seeing a lot of the things that the Bible tells us would happen. And, and, and so a lot of times we kind of just put our hands off and go, I just need to hang on until Jesus comes and snatches me away. But that's not what he says. He says, you have a job to do. Yeah. You've got a mission. And he says, this is what you need to do. Before you do anything else, be of sound judgment, be of sober spirit. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I, I need to be serious all the time? No, sober. Look, I've been sober every minute of my life, as far as I know. Somebody could have slipped me something, but I think I've been sober. <laughs> And I've had a lot of fun. You're sober right now. Are you, do you feel like you're not allowed to laugh? Sober doesn't mean you have to be serious. All the, I mean, doesn't mean you have to be like mad or, or, or just solemn. Sober means you need to not be drunk, not be taken over by another substance, not, not be somehow uh, altered in your judgment. And, and we're not just talking, I really don't think Peter's talking simply about substances you're taking into your body. Yeah. He's talking about the things you can get drunk on. You can get drunk on your work. Mm -hmm. You're so caught up in your work, you don't, you're not thinking about the kingdom of God anymore. You get drunk on entertainment. Yeah. Every spare moment you have, you got to turn on Netflix because you can't deal with being bored. Right. Well, when's the time that God's going to speak to you? Right right? There's all sorts of things. See, we, we hear in church, we go, well, I don't do that anymore. I no longer huff paint. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, this verse doesn't really apply to me. Of course it does. Because I don't think Peter's really talking about substance problems. Yeah. I think he's talking about the things we all get drunk with, the affairs of life, just like Jesus said. The things that take away and crowd out the word of God. So he says, you need to get back to being sober, realizing we've got a mission. Be on mission. And then he says, for the purpose of prayer, above all, above everything else, keep fervent. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Above all. Like this is the most important thing. Above everything else, keep fervent in your love for one another. 
because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, the Greek word for sin means to miss a mark. We all know that we miss each other's marks all the time, don't we? Right? I mean, you might, you might not sin against me in the classical sense of the word sin. Like, you might not do something that breaks the biblical law, but you may miss my expectation. You may disappoint me. You may frustrate me. And what's going to make the difference between me being offended at you or us continuing to walk together in the grace of God is love. Love is the suspension system. Love is the stuff that fills the potholes. Love is the grease that keeps the engine going. This is what we need is love. And not as the world speaks of it, but a more powerful love that doesn't say, I'll love you if you do this for me. I'll love you if you give this to me. I'll love you if you love me. It's I love you because he loved me. It's that kind of love will cover a multitude of sins. It'll cover a bunch of mis-expectations. Because that's usually when we get offended. Listen, remember what offense means. It causes us to stumble. Do you realize that there are things God's called you to, whether it's, it's, it's in your personal life or it's us part of the body together, that could be somewhat put off track simply by you being offended at another member? Can I tell you something? And I want to tell you this in the most loving way, but I want you to hear me. If there are people in this room right now that you avoid, that you really can't have a conversation with because there's history, and you think, it's okay though, because I'm connected to Jesus and I'm also connected to tons of other people, so it's okay. It's not okay. God's got better for you. The scripture, Jesus says, if you got a problem with someone, go and make it right. And if you two can't sort it out, Go up the chain. Bring somebody into it that's got some experience and some wisdom and let them help you work it out. Because listen, this is a, it would be an unhealthy body if you say, oh yeah, but I'm friends with Eric and, I, and I, I'm friends with Nick and I'm friends with, I, I, so it doesn't matter that I got a real problem with Joel. Because <laughs> you know what? Joel's got his friends in church. I got mine. We don't need to work together. We're not in the same teams. So as long as I got these guys, Joel's got his people. We're fine. Uh-uh-uh-uh. God doesn't want you just to be connected to a couple. The parts of the body are interconnected in so many complex ways that in order for God to do what he does, he says, I don't want any strife in the church. I don't want, if, you, if something is keeping you from fully walking in love to someone else, make it right. It's not worth it. You know, you know uh, uh, when, when you get up here and we take communion together, that's a great opportunity to say, hey, am I right with everybody here? Have, have I, have, is there anybody I got a problem with? Let me make it right. When we worship God, don't, don't sing the songs without saying, hey, is my heart fully given to God here? Have I fully loved everyone? Am, am I, is there somebody I got a problem with? Because I want to make that right. And love covers a multitude of those mixed expectations. Because you know what you could do? What do you do when someone just keeps disappointing you? They just never measure up. What do you do? Do you just lower the bar? Because I don't think that that's love either, right. is it? Right. What, if you, what if someone said, you know, I'm so sorry. I know I, I hurt you. I know I did something that, that, that affected you. And look, I'm sorry about that. And what if you said back to them, no problem. I, I have no expectation of you. I mean, my bar for you is so low, you couldn't possibly disappoint me. 
I just want to release you from that guilt because I, I expect literally nothing of you. I mean, <laughs> the fact that you show up blesses me. So, ha, ha, ha. you know, they're not going to walk away going, what love, uh, what forgiveness, what grace I felt today. They're not going to say that person truly gets me. They're going to say that person thinks I'm a loser. That person thinks nothing of me, right? I'm, there was a restaurant here in town. It's gone now and I won't name it. <laughs> and it was a good concept, but it was pretty bad management, I think. And when it first opened, we went. I ordered a chicken sandwich. And it came without the chicken. <laughs> which I think you would agree is a key ingredient to a chicken sandwich. It's one of the things that really makes a chicken sandwich pop, you know, it's the chicken. So I don't mean to be rude, but maybe you could fix this. So they've let me down. They've missed my mark, but I'm not going to lower it yet. The next time we come, I go with my dad. So this tells you how far back it is. And my dad and I go, and they have a margarita pizza on the menu. And that's just a simple pizza. It's got... Fresh mozzarella, it's got tomatoes, it's, you know, it's got some basil. That, it's simple. I said, I'd like this margarita pizza. And the waitress goes, I don't know if we can make that for you. Oh, I said, are, are you out of something? She goes, no, we have everything. But I don't know if the kitchen staff want to make it. Okay. All right, okay. I said, could you just maybe go and ask them? She said, okay, I'll ask them. She had like I was putting her out. Like, She goes back. She comes back to me, and she says, yeah, they don't want to make it. <laughs> I guess because it wasn't already in a bag that you could heat up. We don't, we don't do that. So at this point, I just say, I expect nothing of these people. And you know what? I'm not going back. I don't feel like going back. But I had a friend. Some of you remember Jay. And me and Jay were going to go to the restaurant. And uh, I mean, Jay's favorite food was cold McDonald's fries. So his, <laughs> seriously, he preferred them that way. He let them cool. He wanted to see the fat congealed on the fry. <laughs> so Jay convinces me to go, and you know what? I say, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to change my expectations. They can't disappoint me because I expect nothing from them. I'm going to order the most simple thing they can make. We go and we sit by the kitchen, which is a big mistake. <laughs> And all the time we're sitting at the kitchen, the music from the kitchen is louder than the music in the restaurant. And then we hear these dishes crash, and then we hear a scuffle, and I hear one of the waitresses yell, get your grimy hands off of me. And I realize that those grimy hands are making my food, you know? <laughs> but this time, this time I wasn't shocked. I was so numb inside. I was so dead to it. Jay looked at me and said, do you want to leave? And I said, no. This is what I expected. <laughs> this is the circus I've come to anticipate with this restaurant. They got new management. They got better, but they didn't stay in business. And I realize, not to tell on myself here, but I realize sometimes we do that with people. We give them a shot. They mess it up. Give them another shot. They mess it up. And then we just go, bless your heart. Glad you're here. You smile at them. You love them but you don't ever trust them with anything. And to a degree, you might think that that's love. And, 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 and sometimes you just need to realize some people have their, 
They have a ceiling right now, and that's what they're going to hit. But other times you have to say, I love this person enough to stick with them through this season of growing, to stick with them through this awkward season where they, they're trying their best, but they're failing. And I'm just going to keep loving them, keep encouraging them, keep believing better for them than they know for themselves. Because that's exactly what Jesus did with the disciples. Listen, he came down the mountain when the disciples are trying everything they can do to cast a demon out of a kid, and they failed. And he doesn't go easy on them when he comes down the mountain. He kind of lays into them and tells them, you know, listen, you got, your faith is like non-existent here. But he sticks with them. And he sends them out again. He doesn't say, you blew it. I'm never sending you out again. I'm never leaving you alone. You can't be trusted. He realizes that this is part of the process. And he loves them through it. And he loves them through it. And there's something that we need to realize is that love doesn't say everything you do is perfect and smells delicious. It, it, love says sometimes you need improvement. Sometimes I need improvement. Sometimes we're missing the mark, but I'm not walking away from you. Mm-hmm. Love says we're in this together. And that's what family does, isn't it? Yeah. How many times? I mean, like, is there anything your children could do that would make you kick them? You know, I'm not talking about little children. That would make you say, you're not my son. You're not my daughter anymore. Is there anything they could do? No, there's going to be plenty of times where you look at them and go, where did you get that in your head? Why did you do this? That thing doesn't flush down the toilet. Why did you put it in there? <laughs> Don't try that ever again. And you may say, this is... This is going to cost us a lot of money, kid. But you don't ever consider walking away from them. They're a family. You love them. Love will make up the difference. So that one of the solutions to us not being offended constantly, because listen, offense is not just bad feelings. Offense is stumbling. It's keeping you off the road that God's got you on. It's exactly what the enemy wants to do is to sow strife and division to keep us from going where we're supposed to go. So you think offense, the only reason offense is bad is because it makes us feel awkward. But I want to tell you offense is bad because it keeps you from the destination God's sending you. It keeps you from what God wants you to do. And you may say, well, I don't need to work with that person. It's fine. They got their side. I got my side. But I'm going to tell you this. That's not the way God designed the body. There's not one part of your body that is completely cut off from another part of your body. The blood that flows through, the the, the cells, everything in your body, it interacts. So you can't say, I don't want my finger to have anything to do with my toe. In some way, they are interconnected. In the same way, so should we be. I want to go back to the book of Matthew like we've been waiting for. In Matthew chapter 24... This is when Jesus spoke about what was going to happen in the end times, in the, in the last days. And he says, in Matthew 24, verse 9, he says, They will deliver you to tribulation. They will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away. Now, the King James translates this, many will be offended. Many will stumble, Right? What will they be offended by? What will cause them to fall away? What will cause them to stumble? What will trip them up? He says they'll betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. So how is it that we're betraying each other? 
How is it that we would be offended at one another? How is it that we would hate one another? It's because our love has grown cold. You know, what is hate but an absence of love? Yeah. Right? So when we let that love grow cold, all of these things fall apart. People are offended. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. If we're walking in love, we're not easy to offend. Yeah. Right? The Bible says you should be slow to anger. It should not be easy to tick you off. Yeah. It should not be so easy to make you mad. It should not be so easy to make you yell at somebody. It should not be so easy to make you go on a Facebook rant. Cool down. Because you should be slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen. You're an instrument for God to speak. So if you keep flying off the handle, cutting people's ears off like Peter, you're getting in the way of what God's doing. Right? Here's what he says. Because lawlessness has increased. So this is, this, this is the part of love I want to talk about that we don't talk about a lot. We don't tie law, love and lawlessness together. But the Bible does a whole lot. See, we don't realize that a big part of love is obedience to God. Because that love's got to come from somewhere, doesn't it? And love, as we know, is more than an emotion. It is a choice, right? And the only reason we make choices that go contrary to how we feel is because we are submitted to a higher purpose. We are submitted to a higher power. We're submitted to God. I want to ask you, what caused Jesus to go through all that he went through on the way to the cross and through the cross. What caused him to do that? The, 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 the first part of that journey was him saying to God, I don't want to do this, but if you say this is, this is the way we should go, not my will, but yours be done. That not my, not my will, but yours be done was the beginning of his journey to the cross. Now, of course, all his life was the journey to the cross, but this is when it got intense, when he was taking on the sins of the world, when, when all of hell was resisting him. And after he prays that prayer, what happens? The Bible says that God sent angels to bear him up, to strengthen him. You see, in that act of submission, in that act of submission, there's strength from God. Because when we say, not my will, but your will, I'm going to do it not because I feel it, but because you said to do it. I'm going to love them, not because I feel like loving them, because you said to love them. I'm going to forgive, not because I want to forgive, but because you said to forgive. Now you are stepping into his strength right. to get it done. Peter can't walk on water until Jesus says, walk on water. Right? It is the command of the Lord that carries grace, carries strength, carries power to get it done. You can't separate faith from the voice of God. I can't have faith to get a unicorn. Because what am I standing on? Number one, unicorns don't exist. Number two, I can't find a place where God says, ask me and I'll give you a unicorn. So if faith just comes from me wanting something, it's not enough. My faith comes from what God has said. What did you say, God? That's what I want. That's what I want to do. He says, because lawlessness has increased, love grows cold. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about lawlessness? Most of us don't like the word law. Most of us, we're North Americans. We're not a big fan of the word government. Yeah. Right? I mean, Canadians, we don't vote for a party we love. We vote for a party we're least disgusted with. <laughs> right? That's our pattern. And so... 
when I talk about love, a lot of people actually think that love is the opposite of, of government. Or love is the opposite of being ruled. Because we, we say, well, you know, why do we need someone to tell me what to do? Let's just walk in love. What if they go together? What if your love comes from doing what God said to do? What if he, because he is love. Everything he says comes from love and breeds love. And so it creates love within us. Here's what he says. When people stop, start throwing off restraint, when people start saying there is no God, we just do what we want to do, he says, watch what happens. Their love will grow cold. They'll say they're love. They'll, they say we love everybody. They'll, they'll put banners up that say love. They'll, they'll say churches will say we're all about love. But when you stop saying, listen, I, I'm number one. I'm, I'm here to do the will of the Father. I'm here to submit to him. I'm here to, God, tell me what to do. Tell me how to love. When you throw that off and you just say, I'll love how I feel, pretty soon your love will grow cold. Because the lo that love comes from him. You know, every time God speaks, it creates things, right? When God spoke, the universe was created. God speaking creates things. So when God says, when Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another, you receiving that as a commandment gives it power. I'm not loving you because I think it's a good idea. I'm loving you because it's a command of the Lord. And when there's a command of the Lord, there's strength, there's power, there's grace to do it. Right? When Jesus says, get up on your feet and walk, suddenly someone can get up on their feet. When he says to the dead, rise, they can rise. I mean, this is what you have to believe, that when I receive the word of God as a command that carries power and authority in my life, I can love when I don't feel like loving. You know, as a pastor, here's the challenge. When we're preaching the word of God, here's the challenge is that, that most people, it's not enough. And I'm talking about Christians. I'm not talking about people out in the world. I'm talking about you guys. I'm talking about Christians. A lot of Christians, it's not enough for me to say God said to do it, so let's do it. My job as a preacher now has become God said to do it. Now I have to spend 45 minutes convincing you why it's a good idea for you to do it. Right? Does this offend you? Does this cause you to stumble, Jesus says? Does this bug you? Because until you can obey the voice of God, even when you don't agree with it, you're not really submitted. Submission isn't submission until you disagree and do it anyways. Yeah. Right? You think you're submitted because you do everything, but you're not submitted until you disagree. Because otherwise, you're just doing the thing you would have done anyways. Jesus is my Lord, not just my inspiration. Right? He's not just the one that gives, he says, you know, that's a good idea. We should love each other. And then here's a, a pastor, I have to tell you 10, 10 reasons why love is good. 10 reasons why it will pay off in the end if you love one another. But there's people that died in love. It didn't seem to pay off for them at the moment. But they did it because God said to do it. Of course, it, of course it will yield good fruit. Of course there's a blessing. Of course there's reward. Of course it will be better for you because everything God does is for your good. But if you have to be convinced of why it's good before you do it, I would submit to you that you're not submitted. Huh? Instagram quote. Nah, just kidding. Don't put that one on Instagram. Without context, without context, they think you're, you're in a weird church. He says, when lawlessness is increased, people's love will grow cold. 
I, I want to remind you of something that the, the, the scripture says in 1 John 5. In fact, let me read it to you real quick. In 1 John chapter 5, of course, can somebody remind me what 1 John is mostly about? Love. Love. All right. You've read it. Cool. <laughs> or at least you sit next to somebody that has. 1 John 4 is one of the greatest chapters that's ever been written about the pure love of God. If you could read 1 John 4 every week of your life, you'd be far better off. Because it teaches us that love doesn't come from you, love comes from God. But we are meant to walk in love because we're children of God. That he's poured out that love in our hearts. Romans 5 says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that's the reason that our hope doesn't disappoint. 1 John 5 speaks to me in a way that has never stopped growing on the inside of me. As he continues his conversation about love that we've started in chapter 4, Let's start in chapter 4, verse 21 to tie it together. He says, In this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Now that's convenient if we just believe that the only child born of God is Jesus. It's a little inconvenient if I believe that EJ is a child born of God little inconvenient if I believe that Doug is a child born of God. Now I've got to put imperfect people into this paragraph. I love them because their father is God. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Now hang on. Why do you keep having to put love with commandments? When you hear the word commandment, what kind of picture do you see? I mean, most of us see Charlton Heston, right? <laughs> Be honest. Well, actually, that dates you. I know how old you are based on your answer. <laughs> Somebody says, Christian Bale. I'm like, what? <laughs> some of you were raised on Superbook, and Flying House. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and I'm not sure if you're saved. <laughs> But you, you have a picture of commandments, and it's that big stone block, right? But you know, everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God, we treat as a commandment. Every, every word in this book that's directed towards me, I say, this is God speaking to me, and it's not a suggestion. When he gives a commandment, it's a commandment. And, and this is how I walk in love. I, I, I keep his commandment. Why? Because everything he's commanded you to do is based on love, it will flourish in love. It only works if it's done in love. And it creates love. See, my love comes not in spite of commandments and, and what God has said and, 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 and obedience. It comes because of that. When I say, God, I'm going to do what you said because I know that every command you've ever given can be summed up by the love of God then I know if I do what you say, you'll show me how to love. Because if you only love based on how you think, what you think love looks like, you'll mess it up. Yeah. Peter thought he was loving Jesus when he said, don't go to the cross. Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, you're tripping me up. You're a stumbling block to me. Get behind me, Satan. 
Peter thought it was love. Peter thought it was love to chop the dude's ear off who's trying to take Jesus and arrest him. Jesus said, that's not love. Now I have to stoop down and stick his ear back like a Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> so there's a lot of things we think are love that aren't love. So how do I know what love is? He's told us. He's shown us. And he says, if you'll do these things, love will grow. Love will be there. He says, the love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from you. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Listen to this. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So when people stop keeping the commandments of God, their love grows cold. When people stop realizing that there is a God that I'm submitted to, when they stop, when their awareness of God goes away, love will go with it. It's no wonder that communist Russia, the Soviet Union, when it comes into play, they, they believe that religion is the problem, is part of the big problem. So they say, in, in a Soviet system, in communist, in the Soviet, Soviet Union, we're going to get rid of all church, we're going to get rid of all religion, we're, we're an atheist country. Well, it's no coincidence that when it comes time to war, Somebody wrote, you know, they, they put machine guns behind, behind their own lines so that if one of their guys starts to run the other way, they'll mow them down. Not only that, but if you run away, they'll go after your family too. The war on the Eastern Front between the Germans and the Russians was far worse than the war we saw on the Western Front. They did things to each other that you would never imagine human beings could do to one another. Why? Because God's not in the picture anymore. And so I don't treat you as you're made in the image of God. I treat you like an animal. So you can't mistreat your spouse when you know that her father is in the room and her father is God. You can't mistreat your spouse when you know that that's God's son you're talking to and Jesus himself is in the room. We all would act different when we're aware that God is in the room. See, it's that reverence for God that causes real love to come out of us. And when we say, God, I'm going to obey, it is obedience to forgive. It is obedience to love. It is obedience to serve one another even when you don't like one another. It is obedience to say, I refuse to be offended because there's a greater mission. What you're saying is not my will, but yours be done, and the strength of God comes on you. How could Jesus, how could he be so mistreated? How could he be tried illegally in, in, a, in a midnight court session? beaten while blindfolded, beard plucked out, whipped within inches of his life, and as he's bleeding halfway to death, he is forced to carry his own method of execution up a hill. And as he carries it and he stumbles, somebody helps him, but he still has to go to that cross, and he's put up there, and it's not enough that he's on the cross. When he's thirsty, they give him vinegar to drink. When he cries out, they mock him and say, why don't you come down from that cross? And after all of that, he still says, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you realize that the worst humanity had to offer was not enough to offend Jesus out of the cross? The worst, that, the worst things people could do to another human was not enough to get him to step out of the love of God. And it all began with not my will, but yours be done. Father, forgive them. 
If Jesus could go through that and not be offended, what would, what would offense look like for Jesus? Not carrying through with the mission God gave him. He said, why am I dying for these losers? Why, why am I doing this? I, I shouldn't. Father, send legions and wipe them out. He said, if I asked God, we'd do it. But he refused. Something bigger was driving him. Is there anything someone can say to you or do to you that's going to cause you to be offended? Nobody can make you be offended. You can take offense, but no one has the right to cause you offense. No matter what they do, they don't have the power to offend you if you're walking in the love of God. This is serious for us because it has to do with our mission. The scripture says, that when we're putting on the new self and we're being tenderhearted, we're forgiving each other and we're refusing to let the sun go down on our anger, he says, that's how we keep from giving Satan a foothold in our church. That's how we keep him out of the church. You know, some people think we're going to keep the devil out of the church by making sure none of those nasty people come in. We're going to make sure anybody that's, you know, got those satanic t-shirts and they smell like this or that, you know, if we keep them out, we'll keep pure. And that's, that's not it anyway. I mean, how in the world are we going to reach the world if we're afraid of them? Yeah. If we don't love them. But I'll tell you how the devil gets in the church. According to the New Testament, the devil gets in the church when you allow strife to be bigger than the love of God. Yeah. You allow your anger to be more important to you than right. God's word. Right. When your anger is more important, you've just given the enemy a foothold. Yeah. See, if I don't give the enemy a foothold, that means this is a sheer cliff rock face that he can't stand on. Yeah. We're united. When the church is united, mm. it's just, it's a flat rock. He's got no handholds. He's got no footholds. He's got no way in. Do you realize that? That's the church that overcomes. Listen, this is what he says in 1 John. Read this with me. He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not hard. Yeah. Well, why in the world? Boy, it sure sounds burdensome. It sure sounded burdensome when Jesus said, if someone makes you walk a mile, go too. If someone makes you give him his coat, give him your other coat too. If someone slaps you on the face, turn your cheek and let him slap you on the other side. That doesn't sound easy, but here's why it's not burdensome. They're not burdensome because verse 4 says, for because whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, if you tie that together, he says, whatever is born of love is born of God. Yeah. And whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So if your source of love is, I am doing what the Lord says. I am submitted to him. I am, I am walking in his command. I am loving because he says to love. I'm doing it how he says to do it. I, I'm taking Jesus' advice seriously, not advice command seriously. If I've got a problem, I'm going to go make it right. If I need to repent, I'll go repent. If I need to go pay someone back, I'll pay them back. When you're doing this, you're not doing it in your strength. It's born of God. See, when it's born of God, it overcomes the world. Yeah. And the way we walk in the love of God when it's born of God is by faith. We're saying, God, I don't have this love for this person. God, I don't feel good feelings when I think about them. God, I don't want to thank you for them. I don't want to pray for them. I don't want to talk to them. If, if somebody said you guys are working together on a team, I'd say put me somewhere else. Yeah. 
If that's what's going on right now, can I tell you that's not healthy and it's not God's best. God wants better for you. So what does he say? Love him by faith. Walk, just say, God, I, I know I don't have this, but this, if this is your command, you're the one that's going to do it through me. Just like if you commanded me to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, I know I'm not doing that, you're doing that. Yeah. Just like when you command me to walk on the water, I can't do it, but you can do it through me. Just like when you command me to cast out evil spirits, I couldn't do it, but you do it through me. When you believe the same thing about the commands of love, it overcomes the world. There's not a thing. Paul says there is no known law. There is nothing in heaven, earth, or under the earth that can stand against what's done in love. And your idea of love may differ from God's idea of love. And I want to tell you, your idea, of, your idea of love may be flawed and it lacks power. But God's love is pure. It's always good. It's got no second hidden shadow, hidden layer, hidden intentions. It's just good. There's a reverence for God that I believe begins and ends with our awareness God is here all the time. He is always king over me. He is always around me, above me, before me, and behind me. All things are laid out before him. Nothing is hidden from him. And when I realize that he is king of kings and lord of lords, and he has the right to rule in my life, then suddenly I'm empowered to love in a different way. Because my idea of love doesn't enter the equation. I'm walking in his love. I'm following his command. Jesus said there's going to be a day when people throw off governing. When people say, I don't need a God to tell me how to love. Just be good. Can I ask you something? You know, there's places in our world right now where people are doing unspeakable things to one another. Things that I can't mention in this church service because it wouldn't be fitting of the occasion. But horrible things. Are we better than them? Are we in North America more evolved? No. We're restrained. We're restrained because living in a society that's civilized with consequences in relative safely, safety, has led us to be relatively what we call civilized. But if it all fell apart, we'd go back to that in a minute. Without God. Without God, we would. See, without God, we're nothing more than animals. But when you understand there's a God, we understand we've been made in the image of God. Why is it? Why is it that someone who doesn't believe in God knows it's wrong to kill? How do they know that? Why is it wrong to kill? See, if all we are is an evolved animal, what in the world is wrong with killing someone? If it helps you, if it helps you procreate, if it helps you, uh, you know, carry out your evolutionary, evolutionary bio, biologic purpose, then what's the harm in killing someone? Well, someone might say, an atheist might say, well, you know, if we all killed each other, we've evolved to the place where we understand what's good for the herd is good for the individual. So, We've developed society, and so we know that that wouldn't be good, so we've evolved to a place where killing each other is bad. 
But if that's true, then there'll be a time where someone says, now it's convenient to kill. Now it works for us. Now it's better for the herd if we kill these people. And what's stopping you from doing it? Every single person, even people that don't believe in God, there's something inside them that says, this is wrong. Why? Because there is a higher power. There is a God whose laws are still in effect. And we know it. We know it by instinct. Now you can do something enough that you no longer hear that voice. You can make calluses in your own heart and conscience. But it's still there. As believers, we go the opposite direction. We don't have a faint voice in our heart that says this is wrong or this is right. We now have become sensitive to the Spirit of God. Our spirits have been renewed. Peter says, in obedience to the truth, you have purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Do you hear that? Because of your obedience to the truth, now your soul is pure. And now that you've got that pure soul, love flows. We've gone the opposite direction. There's not a faint voice that says this is wrong or this is right. There's a strong voice that says this is the way. Walk in it. I want to tell you, lawlessness is not what you think it is. You know who Jesus called lawless in the Gospels? It wasn't the tax collectors. It wasn't the murderers. It wasn't the thieves. Do you know who he used that word about? The most religious people in the, in, the, in the nation. He used it when he talked to the religious leaders. He said, you are full of lawlessness. He said, you're like tombs that are whitewashed on the outside, but inside they've got rotting corpses. He said, on the outside you keep all the rules, but on the inside there's nothing but lawlessness. Do you understand the difference? Man's law is all about the outside. It's all about behavior. God's law is all about the inside. The law of love is about what's happening in here. And it works its way out here. That's right. You know what I mean? That's why he says, these people that are keeping all the rules, they're not killing anybody. Well, maybe they stone a couple people to death. But they're, <laughs> they're not, in their minds, they're not murdering. They're, they're keeping all the rules. But they're the most lawless because they're not submitted to God. They're submitted to their own laws and regulations, but not to God. What could God do with a church full of people whose hearts are fully submitted to him? What could God do when someone says, we won't take a step without God's leading? What could God do with a church that talks like Jesus, who says, we do it because we see him do it, we say it because we hear him say it? What could we do with a church full of people saying we do nothing on our own initiative but only what God tells us to do? That's how Jesus lived. And he didn't live as an anomaly. He lived as an example. That's why he's so full of love. That's how he's able. That love is so strong in him that it says that love because he loved us. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It was love that brought Jesus to the cross and love and obedience went hand in hand. I'm telling you, when you make up your mind that God, Jesus is not just my inspiration. He's not just my buddy. He is the Lord of my life. And don't treat it as a dry ruler and subject relationship, but an empowering one. Just treat your, think of yourself like a disciple. When Jesus says, go, you go in his power. When he says, go get me a donkey, you can go steal a donkey. No, I'm just kidding. 
When he goes and tells you to do something and says, go fishing, there's going to be a coin in the mouth. Because I'm obeying the voice of God, there's power in it. So I wanted to close out this series with us turning our eyes back to where they may, they're supposed to be. Sometimes when you talk about, let's not be offended, let's love one another, we just look around. And we say, I'll try harder to forgive. I'll try harder to walk in love. I'll try harder and all of these things. But this morning, my prayer is that we would look up. That we would say, God, in obedience to you, I choose to lay my feelings down. I choose to lay my hurt down. I choose to lay my agenda down, my selfish ambition, all of my pride. And I say, Lord, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And when you have that attitude, there's love, there's peace, there's every fruit of the Spirit. Not from the outside, but from the inside. And it's evident to everyone. The world around us is increasingly lawless. They're saying, we'll do what we feel. Nobody should tell us what to do. You have your God, and that's your issue, but I don't have a God, I just have me. I have my own sense of right and wrong. And it may seem for a while like that's working out. They seem to be nice enough. They seem to be doing good things. They give the charity. But in the end, that love grows cold. Jesus said there's going to be a group of people that come and say, we did all the right things. We did all these things in your name. And he says, get away from me. I don't know you. Yeah. One of the gospels, it says it this way. Go away, you who practice lawlessness. I don't know you. You didn't do it in my name. You used my name, but it wasn't in my name because it didn't come from me. Right. That's the difference. Everything we do starts with him, is done through him, ends with him. Yeah. You can do this. Why can you do this? Because God said it, and if God said it, he's the one doing the work. He's the one doing the heavy lifting. Believe that. I know that even this morning, God's already began to work on some hearts again. I know that because that's what God does. I don't know that because I can read your facial expressions. I'm terrible at that. <laughs> but I just know our God. I know what he does. And I know that his word changes things. So here's what I'm going to put out there for you today. Here's what you can go home with. You've heard the word of God. The question for you today is not whether or not I can muster up the good feelings for people. The question for you is not whether or not I can push to the back of my brain the hurts and offenses I have about them. That's not the question. The question is, do you believe God? Do you, will you obey the Lord? And in obedience to him, do you believe he'll do the rest? See, the only question for you is, will I obey God? That's the only question. He does everything else. He does everything else. You just have to say yes. He's looking for your submission. Because when we surrender, powerful things happen. When you surrender, you're not you anymore. It's Christ in you, doing his work, doing his good work, doing his wonderful miracles and power. It's Christ in you loving. It's Christ in you forgiving. It's Christ in you encouraging. It's Christ in you edifying. 
It's what's going to change our church. It's what's going to change the world. So would you stand with me as we commit to the Lord?